Good morning, friends. My name is Charlie Salamone. If we have not met, the lead pastor here. And we've been doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. And you can say it with me if you desire. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we have made our way to verse 13, which is our focus today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Once more with the Lord's Prayer, perhaps if you grew up going to church, these words are really familiar to you. What my big desire is in this series is that we would get beyond just the words that maybe we've memorized, but we would come to a place where we're actually praying these thoughts, the things that Jesus wants us to focus on. The way that I see this, these are, this is heart postures and heart desires that Jesus wants us bringing to God. And so with this one, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, at, at first glance, the first part of it can be a little misleading. That's why it's really important to, to read the second part also. The first part is lead us not into temptation. And um, well, reading that alone, it might give the impression that like God sometimes tempts us, but that's not what it's saying at all. The second half tells you... Uh, Deliver us from the evil one. That is the one who is tempting. Uh, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I would summarize it. Basically, this is like the heart posture that says, Lord, keep us safe from sin. Keep us safe from the lies of the enemy. Lord, protect us. Protect our hearts from going astray. Uh, this little line about, and deliver us from the evil one. You probably know who that is referring to, the one we call Satan, the devil. I was actually talking with a pastor from, from Quebec here, and he told me that because so much secularism and uh, ideas that people have about religion and such, he said for him he would never talk about like Satan as a as a uh, as like a person, as like a, a a spiritual being. He said he wouldn't talk about that because people, people don't want to hear that. He said it's easier to just talk about evil as a, evil as just like a, I don't know, things that people do and such. But I find it very striking that in the Lord's Prayer, there is a mention and awareness that there is an enemy. There's an enemy for our souls. I think that's something to really consider. There's someone who wants to take us down. And in uh, analyzing that, I figure that we should go to the beginning and see how this plays out. Genesis chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here it is. This is the beginning of the Bible. If you come here, you've probably seen this because I put it on the screen somewhat often because it's really important to understand the situation we find ourselves in now because it all stems from what happened in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so here in Genesis chapter 3, you have the serpent which is the devil coming in the form of a serpent. And right here, I know this idea is met, I, I, I can hear, I can hear someone, someone specifically in my mind saying, there you go, uh, a talking snake. You want me to believe that? You want me to believe that there's a talking snake? 
And so this, this whole thing, this, this God, the devil, um, is it real? Is this God real? That's kind of like a, a thought that someone might have after reading all this. Is God real? Is this God of the Bible real? But interestingly to me, that question, is God real, while it is certainly worth a conversation, it's worth talking about, we're not going to talk about it today, uh, we're going to assume that's true. And the reason is, that question, is God real? That is not the question that is at the heart of the spiritual cosmic battle between God and Satan. I'll explain that. The question, is God real, is not the main point that is at war in your heart. There is something else. And you actually see it here. Uh, at first, at first the serpent came with, uh, did God really say? The Bible says a bunch of stuff. Did God really say? And the woman was pretty much like, yeah, he did. <laughs> so kind of the serpent was like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something else. And she said, okay, well, the serpent said, okay, well, uh, God said it, but here's the deal. God really knows that if you do eat of the fruit, your eyes are going to be opened. And what he's basically saying is, God doesn't really want you to be happy. He doesn't really want you to be satisfied. He wants to hold you back. He wants to hold you back with his religious control. And he doesn't really want to make you happy. And that's the lie that stuck. The spiritual cosmic battle in our hearts is not, is God real? It really is, is he good? Can I trust him? Can I, can I trust God with my heart? That's, that's the battle. Um, so every Wednesday or most Wednesdays, we do this thing with the young adults after our All Are Welcome Wednesdays, and uh, we call it the after party. We, we go in the sermon, we have a whiteboard, and in the beginning, like, anyone can write anything on the whiteboard they want, any topic, any question, any Bible verse, anything they want to discuss, and then we all vote on what we're going to talk about, and we rank them, and we talk about those things in order. And last week, there was a question written on the whiteboard, and I pretty much, it pretty much was like, in heaven, is there going to be cool things like water slides, or are we just going to sit around and sing praise songs all day, because that sounds kind of boring? <laughs> question mark. <laughs> So I'm not going to comment on the water slide part because I really don't know. But yeah, in the city that's coming, there's more than just singing going on. And that's a, a, another conversation for another time. But this is why I bring it up now because at the heart of it, at the heart of it, under the surface, what that question is really asking is, can God really be trusted to really make me happy? Or if I follow him, is it going to lead to my life not really being satisfying? And that really is the deeper question that is at the heart for all of us. Can God really be trusted? Can we trust him to really take care of us and satisfy our hearts with good things? Or is this religious life just going to be this boring thing when what we want is you know, water slides or such? Um, well, that was a lie. It's like God's just trying to hold you back. And, well, in Genesis 3, it worked. And in verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. So the serpent said that if you eat of the tree, your eyes will be open. And he was right. That's what happened. Their eyes were open. But as it is with temptation, he only tells you half of what's going to happen. In this case, he told them that their eyes would be open, but he, he didn't tell them what else would happen. And what else would happen is they found in themselves an internalized sense of guilt and shame. And so they made themselves fig leaves and, and worse... When they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from him. I think that idea of like he was walking, it speaks a little bit about our, what we were created for, to walk with him, meaning to know him, to walk with him through this life. Um, Here was God walking taking a stroll, and now, because of sin, the man and the woman, they didn't want that. They didn't want to be around him. They, they didn't trust him. And they had this self sense of guilt and shame, which, which made it worse, so they hid. And, well, you guys are here, I'm here, and... I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you have problems. I got problems. Problems that you've probably thought about today. Probably been awake for at least an hour or two. I know that you have problems because I I read the Bible and I read what happens after this. And I know that the ground that we're walking on is cursed. Um, It produces trouble, hardships, fears, anxieties, pain. I know that, you know it, but our real problem isn't what we think it is. Our real problem isn't the things that we woke up anxious about in this life. Our real problem is what's going on right here, hiding from God. And Jesus knew that. There was this time in Luke 5 where these people bring Jesus uh, a paralyzed man. They brought Jesus their friend. He was a paralytic, and there was this big crowd there, so they actually had to, like, lower him through the roof. And so this paralyzed man laying on a mat, being lowered in front of everyone, Jesus sees him, and Jesus says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And it's striking because that's not, <laughs> that's not what they're aiming for, is it? That's not why they lowered their friend. That's not what the paralyzed man was hoping for on this occasion. But Jesus was able to see what's really going on. I know what you think you need, but this is what you really need. And from this will flow everything that you think you need in good time. You're forgiven. I forgive you. That is what our souls really need. We need an encounter with God where we know that we're forgiven. And so Jesus says, you're forgiven. Friend, you're forgiven. And there's some people in the crowd who kind of grumble at this because they're like, okay, um, there's been other people in the Bible who have healed people, um, you know, Moses, did, Abraham did, uh, Elijah, Elisha, to name a few. So it would be one thing if Jesus healed the man. But Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And so these, these people were like, who has the authority to forgive sins but God alone? Only God can say you're forgiven. And they were actually right about that. And Jesus says, okay. To prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins, he turns to the paralyzed man and he says, get up and walk. 
And the man gets up and, and walks. And everyone praises God. The point is, the point is what we really need, what our hearts really need is to be reconciled to God, to come out from among the trees in the forest and to walk with him. This isn't what we often think in this life. We often are very focused on the problems, the pains that we want fixed. And the call of God is to look past that and to look to him. Uh, fast forward. So uh, that was Luke 5. If you go to Luke 17, there's this occasion where there's, there's 10 lepers, right? A leper has got like this super bad skin disease. And they're crying out to Jesus, have mercy on us. And you know what they want. Obviously, it's obvious what they want. They would like, they would like their problems fixed, their skin disease, which is reasonable. It's a reasonable request. And Jesus has compassion. He has pity on them. And he says to them, go to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest, which was part of like the cleansing, cleansing ritual for a leper to be welcomed back into, you know, non-leper society. Go show, show yourself to, your, to the priest. You'll be made well. And so they go. And as they're going, that's when the miracle takes place and, and their skin is healed. And one of them, one of them stops and he turns back and he goes back to Jesus in front of everyone and, he, and, he, and he's praising God and he comes to him. And what Jesus says is, didn't I heal 10 people? Where's the other nine? And here's a real sad truth. For the other nine, having their problems fixed was enough for them. But for this one, he knew that there was something he needed more. And that was that relationship. To know him, to praise him. This is what our hearts truly need. And here, here alone is where we will find satisfaction. If you are like the other nine, and your only focus is on the problems of this world, and your hopes, and your desires, and your wishes in this short, fleeting, temporary life, if those are your main focus, maybe you will be like the nine lepers, and maybe you'll get your problems fixed. But that's not ultimately what this is about. It's about being restored into a relationship where we trust him. We know he's good, and we have a relationship with him. Our sins are forgiven. We trust him. Jump with me, if you will, to Psalm 103. We're going to read the first five, or five verses. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff here. Praise the Lord, all my inmost being, all of me. Um, and, and then he says, um, let's not forget all these benefits. Um, and they're, they're there in front of you. Uh, he forgives our sins. You're forgiven what our hearts need to hear, heals our diseases, redeems your life from the pit. So this does speak about how he delivers us from our, from our problems. He helps us with our problems in life. Certainly there's that. Um, crowns us with love and compassion. And hear this part. This part specifically spoke to me. Satisfies your desires with good things. Satisfied. A satisfied life in him. So these are, these are the things that God has called us out from among the trees of the forest, out from the place of shame and hiding from him, out from that place of I don't trust him. I need to, 
I need to, to lead my own life. I can't really put my trust in, in the hands of God because my life won't be really satisfied. I'm afraid it'll be boring. I'm afraid it just won't scratch the itch. He's calling us out of that to a place where we can praise him. He satisfies all our desires. He takes care of us. He heals us. God is my God. He is with me. Praise him, all of me. This is the place that he has called us to. And in Jesus, I hope you've been there. I hope you've tasted that. I trust that if you know Jesus, you have. You've had at least moments where you've understood, I have a Savior in heaven who is with me. Um, but with this, there's also, uh, um, there's also a word that we need to hear. It says, in verse 2, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And this is where, this, this is a way really of saying, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, don't let me forget. Lord, don't let me turn to unbelief. Don't let me turn from trusting you. Don't let me believe the lies of the enemy that says I, I can't trust you. And I want to tell you that it's, when you're feeling these things, well, that's, it's easy to trust God when you're feeling these things. When your heart is feeling satisfied and your diseases are getting healed and, you know, your life is being redeemed and such. When your heart is praising him, when all of your heart is praising him, it's, it's pretty easy to not forget but here's what I need to tell you about. Um, uh, between the Red Sea and the land of promise lies the dreadful wilderness. And between the cross and the, the heavenly city that awaits us lies the dreadful wilderness. Um, I'm going to show you a passage, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God himself does not tempt us, but there are certainly times when God's Spirit leads us into the wilderness and who is waiting for us in the wilderness. This is true for all of us in Christ through many hardships we must endure to inherit the kingdom of God. Um, between the cross, the place of joy and meeting God, and knowing that our sins are forgiven, between that and the time that we walk into the heavenly city, there between that lies the wilderness. And there in the wilderness lies the tempter. Let's talk about the wilderness for a little bit because this is a concept that it's so important that you understand. I, I talk about this a lot, the Exodus, what happened there. You know, we did a series on Genesis a while back. Maybe someday we'll do a series on Exodus, the next book. So in Exodus chapter 14, um, the people of Israel passed through the Red Sea. And this was after... Ten plagues fell upon the people of Egypt while the people of God were protected. And with those ten plagues, there was a message, I'm your God, I'm for you, I'm taking care of you. And at the moment of the Red Sea, their enemies were, they had their enemies on one side and they had the sea on the other. And it was a helpless situation, it was a desperate situation. There was no hope apart from God and that's when God showed up. And the sea parted and they walked through, uh, which which in, in some ways symbolizes our new life in Christ. The, the Red Sea opened up a way. God made a way when there was no way, and that's, that's the cross. God made forgiveness for us when there was no hope in ourselves. And so they walked through the Red Sea. This is so important to understand what happened here. They walked through the Red Sea, Exodus chapter, chapter 14, and... Uh, 
Well, then you turn the page, and Exodus chapter 15, what happens is they sing. <laughs> you know, that, that's like the Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my innermost being, praise his holy name. He takes care of us. He satisfies us. He's with us. It's the most natural thing ever. You're in a desperate state, and the Lord parts the waters, and you sing. You, you, you're a leper. Your skin is cleansed. You sing, you know? You got problems. He fixes your problems. You sing, sing. Wow, awesome. Um, and then before the chapter even ends, they, uh, they run out of water, and they're thirsty in the desert. And what happened was, the same thing in Psalm 103 that we're kind of warned against. Like, don't forget. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget him. Don't forget him. Don't forget him. They forgot really quickly. Before the chapter was even over and they ran out of water, they were like, we're all going to die. There's no hope. What is this? They stopped trusting him. But God being good and God wanting to establish this trust relationship, he shows up in the wilderness and he gives them some water and they drink. And I'm sure, again, they were like, wow, God is awesome. God is with us. Wonderful. And then you turn the page, the very next chapter, very next, uh, they run out of food. And what did they do? The same thing. There's no hope for us. We're all going to die. What's the point of this? They didn't, they didn't trust him. And God, being God, being good, wanting this trust relationship with them, Guys, I want you to trust me. I'm your God. I want you to know even when you're hungry, I want you to know that I'm going to take care of you. He gives them food, but they didn't get the message because then you turn the page again. Then you turn the page again, and what happened? They ran out of water again. And it's like, well, we've been through this. We know what's going to happen. We know he's going to take care of us. We know he's going to give us water because he did it again. He did it recently. Not to mention we walked through a Red Sea and we saw 10 plagues fall on our enemy and he gave us food. All those things happened. And then they, they should have said when they ran out of water in the wilderness, they should have said, God is going to take care of us. God's going to see this through. But they didn't, did they? They didn't. Instead... They said, there's no hope for us. We're all going to die. The, the tempter who meets us in the wilderness, the evil one, he won that battle, didn't he? And this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to know when we are in the wilderness and we run out of water. And granted, granted, let's, let's take a moment and just realize how desperate this situation is. You're in the desert hot sun. You're in the desert and you run out of water. Let's just acknowledge that is indeed, worldly speaking, a desperate, hopeless situation. But this is where God wants to bring us, to a place where we can stand in a worldly speaking, desperate, hopeless situation and not flinch. I'm in the desert there's no water. I got my whole family here. But praise God because he's with us. And I don't know how he's going to do it. But he's going to deliver us and he's going to satisfy our souls. He is good. And in that, the devil has nothing. This really is the battle for our souls. This wilderness experience where the tempter meets us. In the wilderness of suffering, that's when the temptation is alluring to not trust him. That's what it's really about. Um, now I want to show you a passage from the New Testament that's going to connect this. And I just want to tell you up front, these are, this, is, this, is a, um, this is a hard one. It's an important one to hear, but it's not an easy one to hear. But I, I want to read it because it, it, connects, it connects these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, verse 1 to 11. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the facts, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 
Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the accumulation of the ages has come. So what do we just read? He was talking about the wilderness experience of Exodus 14, 15, 16, what I was just talking with you about. He's summarizing that, and he's connecting it with us. He says when they... they they were all baptized. Uh, they, were, they were all baptized into Moses. It talks about the Red Sea experience, and they, they, drank, um, they drank the same spiritual drink. This is like baptism and communion is what he's connecting it with, our Christian experience. He was saying they had a form of that, right? And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, meaning there came a point where God said, actually, the way that it says it in Hebrews, New Testament, um, I think that's probably quoting Exodus or Numbers, where like the Lord is speaking and he says, I swore in my wrath, these people always go astray. They will never enter my rest. Or God said, I'm done with these people. They won't trust me. I've tried, I've tried. They don't trust me. Their hearts always go astray. And here, here this is recounting the fact that they died without entering and that was, it was God's judgment. It was God's judgment on them. And I feel like I should point out because once in a while, talking about like God's judgment in the Old Testament, someone will say, well, we're in the New Testament. We're Christians now. So those things aren't really important to talk about or to like make us uncomfortable with. You shouldn't make us uncomfortable with those Old Testament things. But actually, twice here, it says the opposite, doesn't it? In verse 6, it says, well, actually in verse 11, it says, these things happen to them as an examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the accumulation of the ages has come. What happened to them, the, 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 the judgments, what happened to them was written down for us. It's relevant. It was written down for us as warnings. Beloved, the Christian life, so much of the Christian life is indeed seeing his love, trusting his love, being motivated by his love, following but there are times when warnings are helpful. That's what it says here. It's around for warnings. Um, and verse 6, it says, again, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So let's talk about sin. The heart of sin, the essence under the surface, under the surface, the real essence of sin is that grumbling. It talks about here grumbling. It's that, it's that heart that says... Times are hard. There's no one looking out for me. There's no one here to trust. No one's going to take care of us. That's the heart of sin. And it says, this is what sin says. There's no God who is good, who is looking after me. Therefore, I need to take matters into my own hands if I want to be happy and fulfilled. That is the essence of sin. A lot of people just think about sin as the external things, and, and some of those external things are listed here. I mean, um, like idolatry is like worshiping other gods, like maybe this golden statue will give me what, what I want. I don't know where that idea came from, but that is an idea that people had. Um, sexual immorality. It's like these were written as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. Sexual morality, there... Um, it, it, it means sex outside of marriage is what it means. Um, why is that so bad? Well, it's specifically bad for God's people when it's flowing out of a heart that says, I can't really put my life in the hands of God. I can't really trust him because if I trust him, I'm not really going to be satisfied. So I need to do things my own way. If I really want to be happy, if I really want to be content and satisfied, I need to do things my own way. And that's what makes it especially bad, is because where it flows out of. 
And beloved, beloved, listen, there is always forgiveness, and that's why I speak these things. I am quite sure that the Apostle Paul, when he, when he read this, he knows that people are, he's speaking to people who struggle with grumbling and, and, and some of the things listed, sexual morality and different forms of idolatry and such. And he's saying this, don't fall into temptation, meaning don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that says that he's not going to satisfy your hearts. He is watching. You're in the wilderness now. I get it. But we're headed somewhere. We're headed somewhere wonderful. We're headed somewhere where he's going to be. All our diseases will be healed. All our problems will indeed be, be fixed. We're getting there. And now in the wilderness, he's with us. So... Look what, what it says next when you get to verse 12. So, in light, of, in light of this wilderness that we're walking through with its temptations and the devil saying, you know, look how unhappy you are. Look how unhappy you are. You think, you think anyone's paying attention? So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And this here is this prayer, this heart posture. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is, this is a heart posture of humility that says, Lord, if you leave it to me, <laughs> this ship is going to go down. If you leave it to me, if you leave it to me, I'm not going to be able to stand in the day of temptation. Um, Jesus knew this. Actually, he, he was talking to Peter at one point, and he's like, Satan, uh, Satan wants to sift you, Peter, meaning Satan wants to come and tempt you. But, Peter, good news, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. This is really... The heart posture says, Lord, I need you to work in me. Keep me safe. Keep me safe from temptation, Lord. Lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. Um, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now, this is interesting because, like, I know that temptation comes in lots of different forms. Different people are tempted by different things. That's certainly a fact. But at the heart of it, it's the same thing. At the heart of it is the same thing. It's our hearts want to be satisfied. We want to feel safe and secure. And we're worried that a life of trusting God, especially when you're out of water in the wilderness and such, um, a life of trusting God isn't going to do it. He's not actually going to take care of us. He's saying, remember, look to God. He's faithful. He'll take care of you in the wilderness. Um, there's one more passage I want to look at and pay attention now because there's some really helpful advice on how to do this here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Um, so it is worth noting, why don't we begin with verse 8. Um, there is an evil one. There is an enemy. The enemy, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Man, also notice um, in verse 10, um, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, um, there's this idea that the devil comes when? 
The devil comes when you find yourself in the wilderness. Um, so what do we do? Um, verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Don't trust in yourselves. Don't live life without praying this prayer. Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, keep me safe. Keep me safe from the lies. Help me see through the temptation. Lord, let my faith be strong when I am in the wilderness and help me trust you. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Um, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So when you're in the wilderness and troubles seem to be more um, present, this is very good news here. Casting, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I don't know, like for myself, I don't know what it is. Well, actually, I do have some theories. But regardless, like Mondays, I just often just feel like there's just no hope in the world. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Probably because I'm not a morning person, for one. It's Monday mornings that are the worst. But also, it's just like, like on Sunday, I just feel like I'm giving all my hope and giving all of my life. And it's like I'm, I'm just running on, on full speed. And then Mondays, I just feel like I want to just not be alive. I just feel so empty and, and blah. Um, there's this time where, where the prophet Elijah, he, he calls down fire from heaven in the sight of like a bunch of people. And, and it's like this glorious thing. And then like, like later that day, like Queen Jezebel sends him like a mean letter. <laughs> and he just goes into like this, oh, I want to die. You know, he just, there's something about, like, having these, like, mountaintop experiences where then, like, you're just very sensitive to, like, trouble. I bring this up because that seems to be, like, what happened in the wilderness, isn't it? Like, they would have these, like, whoa, God is going to help us. God did help us. That was amazing. Sing his praises. Sing his praises. Sing his praises. He's so awesome. But then they were really vulnerable to, like, attacks, like, really quickly after that. And maybe it's just something about this life that we're in where, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, but anyways, on Mondays, I often feel awful. And today, I was, or this, this last Monday, I was just like, um, you know what? I'm going to go in the gym, and that's what I do. I'm going to go in the gym, and I'm going to walk circles around this gym until all the anxieties are gone. And it took like an hour and a half <laughs> where I was just like, I'm just going to walk circles in the gym. And this idea, cast all your anxieties on him, where as I was praying, I was like, Lord, right now, I'm going to cast my anxieties on you. And... I'm not going to give you my filtered thoughts. I'm going to give you my unfiltered thoughts. And maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. Maybe they're true. Maybe they're not true. But I'm just going to give them to you as they are. Because that's, for me, what casting my anxieties on you is. And so I did that. And it usually doesn't take me an hour and a half. On this case, it did. But it's like all your anxieties. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is something we can do in the wilderness to be strengthened. Rather than sitting in the pain, rather than sitting in the anxiety, give them to him. And hear this, this is, this is, this is good news, what I'm gonna tell you now. I noticed something this week as I was looking at the Bible. It says in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. There's this idea of like, maybe not right now, in due time, when he is good and ready, he'll do it. And then it, that's kind of reinforced when it says, um, and the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, this is verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, so in due time, after you've suffered a little while, he'll restore to you and make you strong. So um, it occurred to me, like I was you know, reading when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted, and that was a 40 days of suffering, no doubt. At the end of those 40 days, after the little while was over, uh, an angel appeared to strengthen him. I don't, I don't know how that, I don't know what the angel did, but an angel appeared. And something I'd never noticed before, like in Luke uh, 22, I think it is, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, he's, and, he's, and he wants his friends, actually, the disciples, to pray with them. They keep falling asleep. But what he's saying to them is, Pray, hear this, twice he says, pray that you would not fall into temptation. You see, it's the very thing, it's the very thing that we're talking about today. Pray 
that you would not fall into temptation. And Jesus is in like agony. He's like, he's sweating blood, which is a real thing that people can experience. It's a, it's a medically noted thing. It's very rare, but it can happen to people under super extreme um, mental stress. So Jesus is in like feeling like tortured. And he's like, you guys with me, pray that you do not fall under temptation, that you don't fall into it. And actually it says in this, and this is what I never noticed before, um, at one point an angel showed up. An angel showed up to strengthen him, to comfort him. Um, and so here's my point. Here's my point. This is, this is a big this is a big take home. Let's be ready. Let's be ready for the hour of temptation. Let's live lives of praying, Lord, protect me. Don't let me fall into sin. Don't let me believe the lie that I can't trust you. Help me trust you, Lord. This is all just different ways of saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, keep me safe from sin. Let's be praying that prayer. And then, and then when the wilderness is experienced, when you feel the pain, here's what you do. Wait. With faith, wait. And maybe you need to keep praying in the suffering. Maybe you just need to keep praying. Maybe you need to port your anxieties. You need to like walk laps or whatever. For me, when I pray, I just need to walk. Do what you need to do, but pour your anxieties out on him and wait. For Jesus, on two occasions, angels showed up to help him. And that was Jesus, okay? You would think if there's anyone that doesn't need angels to help him, I would say you'd think that'd be Jesus. But here it says, in due time, after you've suffered a little while, let's walk through the wilderness. Okay, we're out of water, we're in the desert, it's desperate, don't flinch, wait. Let's watch and see. Let's watch and see what God does because he's faithful. We can trust him. This is what he's trying to do. This is why the wilderness, this is why he brings us into the wilderness. He wants us to come to that place in life where even in the face of hardship, we can say, Lord, I trust you. I walk with you. You're with me. You're my God. In good times and in bad times, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He wants us to get to that place where we can trust him in good times and bad Relationships are built on trust. That's what he's doing. Father God, um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I pray that this would be our heart prayer. Lord, keep us safe. Keep us safe from temptation. Help us trust you. Help us trust you when we're tempted to do otherwise. Help us trust you when sin says to us, here's a way you can be happy. Here's a way you can feel better. Lord, help us see through the lie. Help us wait on you. Help us trust you. Keep us safe. Deliver us from the evil one. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you'd like to uh, ask a question, you can raise your hand. Or if you would like to remain anonymous, you can text it to the number. Um, that's for you who are online as well. We're looking forward to your questions. So, Charlie, we already have a question. Very good. This one says, Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail, but then Peter denied Jesus three times. Did Jesus' prayer not work? Oh, such a wonderful question. Such a wonderful question. And this is good news right here. This is very, very good news for us. Sometimes um, when we fail in the wilderness, which Peter certainly did, ultimately leads us to be strengthened. Because what happened with Peter was, I mean, we read the verse like, be careful to stand, be careful that you're not standing too firm, you know, or, or you're gonna fall, how does it say? Be careful to stand lest you fall. Peter was standing before then, as in Peter was feeling good about himself, I can do this. Remember what he said to Jesus? He was like, uh, these other people might turn from you, not me, I'll follow you to the death. And so he was very confident in himself. But what did Jesus do for him? Yes, yes, he denied Jesus, he failed. But in failing, what did he do? He found Jesus to be who Jesus needs to be for all of us. He found Jesus to be a savior. 
His religion was no longer about simply, well, I'm a good person and I do good religious things. No, now his religion was about, I have been forgiven. And that is where truth's strength lies. Um, the power came from him. So the good news for us who have sinned, and that's, that's everyone in the room here. The good news for us is that sometimes God, through our sin, strengthens us in the wilderness. Um, it's good news. Because what happened with Peter is then, from that, his faith did not fail. Um, being forgiven in the wilderness strengthened Peter to then be, uh, you know, a great leader. Did somebody have their hand raised in the back? I thought I saw a hand raised. In the back over here? Yes, there is one on the back. Martin, to your left. Oh, okay, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, not a question, but an observation. Um, Jesus started to teach them how to pray their Father's Prayer, right? But that was before he spent time with them. And I can't help but think about um, Luke 10, verse 19. He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. And I was just sort of thinking about it as you're teaching about being delivered and that he would provide a way and how we could walk in that power and authority and apply it when we are tempted. Um, yeah, so that's, a, um, I'm not totally sure if I, I hear exactly what you're saying, but the idea of like, um, like on one hand you have saying, Lord, protect us, help us. And then on the other hand, you have Jesus saying, you have the authority to trample. So it's, is that kind of what you're saying? It seems like, is it one or the other? Like, are we asking for help or do we have the help I, already? No, no, I'm not saying it's one or the other. I think it's, it's before he spent time with them that he teaches them to ask God. And after having spent time with them, teaching them the ways of the kingdom of God, he's now taking them further and saying, I'm giving you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. And so it's fast forwarded into future, right? So he started with teaching them how to pray and chapters later or Luke 10 talks about how he's giving them the authority over the enemy, over all the power of the enemy. It's not a question, but just an observation that I wanted to put out there just so that we can chew over it. Martin, there's another question to your left. Um, while we get there, um, I just want to make a comment that we have our Welcome Wednesdays. And in those times when we're sitting here as adults in the, in the sanctuary, we find that other people are struggling as well. It's not just us. We don't struggle in isolation. We have wounds that we carry. And then when we share our burden with somebody else, that person says, oh, you too, I feel that way too. And so we hold each other's hands in this journey. So it's not just me and Jesus riding in the sunset. It's me and my people coming to Jesus together for help. Nina, I'm glad you brought that up um, before we take that question about Wednesdays and why we started it to remind you. I am well aware, this is a relatively big church, as far as Quebec goes especially. This is a relatively big church, and I know that there's a lot of people who uh, come here on Sundays. It's great to see you. And I fear, though, because I just don't see you outside of that, I fear that maybe there's no other Christian experience in your life. And part of that stuff that I read about they were all under the cloud, under the sea, they were all baptized into Moses, but with most of them, God was not pleased. Here's the deal. They had the external religion, but they didn't have the heart trust. They didn't have the real relationship with God. And in the Christian life, the power, so much of the power 
that unites us to Christ comes in the context of relationship with the body of Christ. That, and I know for some of you, perhaps you get that other places. Like I'm not saying if you don't show up Wednesdays, things are good. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is I know for a lot of us, like we need, we, you need Christian fellowship more than you think you do. Let me say it that way. You need it more than you think you do. If you're more of like an introverted person, you really need it more than you think you do. Um, there is something about fellowship that strengthens us um, to live this Christian life. So, okay. Um, yes, the question in the back. Yes, hi, uh, Charlie. Um, I was, I, I have heard something said in teaching on this passage and I just was gonna ask your thoughts if this resonated with you. Um, and it, it kind of speaks a little bit to what we just heard over on the other side. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, he, he won, he came out victorious. And in the scripture passage, so in the scripture passage that you just read, I think it was in First Peter, or maybe it was in one of the other ones that we said, um, he won't tempt you more than you can stand. And so, the way, so this thing that I've heard that I'm just interested in your comment on is he allows us to be tempted to reveal us as his people. Not for our sorrow and our suffering, but so that we can, with him, after a little while of working through it with him, we can be revealed as walking in the power of Christ in us. Does that resonate with you at all? It does. I'm really glad you brought it up. So this is the deal. Be careful to stand lest you fall. Um, the, the heart that basically looks to God and says, help me, live in me, lead me not into temptation. It's really just an expression of humility. Help us. That heart posture, that heart posture that says, Jesus, you're my savior and I need you. That heart posture allows Jesus to live in us because we're leaning on him. He's willing to live in anyone, but when you're acting like, you know, the way that Peter was before, he had to be humbled. Peter was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a strong, good person. You know, I'm a good, religious, devoted person. Jesus wasn't living through that. Jesus wasn't living in him. He was standing on his own. But for the heart that says, Lord, I need you, live in me, live in me, what does Jesus do? He lives in us. So, so, going back to what Barbara's saying, so when we are tempted... If we're walking this walk of like, Jesus, live in me, keep me safe, keep me safe. When we're tempted, the spirit in us is greater than the spirit in the world. Who is keeping us strong? Who is it that's, that you could say is being tempted? Jesus, he was tempted in the wilderness and what? He won. And now as we walk through this life, uh, as, uh, as he is, so we are, I'm getting that verse wrong. But the idea is like, he lives in us. If we're walking this life leaning on him, he lives in us. And is Satan gonna beat Jesus any day of the week? Never. Um, so in a lot of ways, this lead us not temptation but deliver us from evil is really just that hard posture of humility that says, Lord, live in me. Live in me so that I don't fall. Live in me so I don't sin. Leave, live in me so that I can trust you. Um, and and uh, the temptation, the trial, it is... It is God holding up his servants and saying, you see, look at this, look. Because what you see here is glory. What you see is God working through, what you see here is what he intended from the start, made in my image. Look and see, um, the glory of God shining through people. Um, that, that happens when Jesus is living through us, so yeah. So we've got one last question. Um, it says, how can you stop yourself from being tempted? So maybe you could reiterate some of your key points. Yeah, I don't know if you can really stop yourself from being tempted. I mean, the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. I mean, there are times when we are going to be tempted. But what you can do is you can be prepared, meaning you're living a life of humility, of asking Jesus to work in you, 
you're leaning on him to be your savior, to care for you, to satisfy your heart. Um, you're living for Jesus. And then when you are tempted, um, I mean, you can go back and rewind everything I said again, so I'm not going to go into it all again. But <laughs> um, when you are tempted, the big thing that I've been thinking about, pour out your anxieties to him because he cares. Tell him all your troubles and wait. There's this idea of just like waiting, just a little while. Just wait and watch and see what he does. I would also add that turn your face to Jesus. Because when our eyes are focused on our troubles, we have a hard time seeing Jesus. So worship is often a key to turning our eyes onto Jesus. Play Christian music. Play anything that lifts your heart towards Jesus. Read the Psalms. Sing praises and then your heart will shift. So let's do that right now. Let's worship in music. <laughs> 